0: Well, thanks for joining me for another edition of the Fast Podcast, and I'm really excited. What are you laughing at? <laughs> the
1: Fast Podcast.
0: Well, I I like that's that's what it is. It is uh, it is the Fast <laughs> Podcast, and today reminiscing about something that is hard to believe happened a little over twenty two years ago, and that was the launching of Planet Radio ninety six point five. Lafayette's first real alternative rock station. And joining me for this, very fortunate to be able to track this guy down. He's world famous, you know. I've got the other mm-hmm. half of The Root Awakening. So it was Fast and Rob, The Root Awakening, the original morning show. And, well, can, do I still call you Rob Summers? How do I refer to you? I, I want to make sure I get this right.
1: Sure, we're resurrecting Rob Summers from the dead just for, just for this podcast.
0: Awesome. Well, you're qualified to do that, so I, pr- I appreciate you taking, uh, taking some time to visit. But, well, you know, as we visited before doing this actual podcast, just kind of throwing some ideas together, it, you know, it's A, it, it really is hard to imagine that that process happened in our lives 22 years ago.
1: 22 years. You've gotten really old since then.
0: Yeah, what happened to you? How did you stay so young?
1: I died, and I, and I've been risen from the dead. Oh, that's too, right. Yeah. You're pickled. Yeah.
0: Uh, so yeah. so, so <laughs> it's, it's early 1997. The Lafayette mm-hmm. radio scene is very, very different than it is today. A lot less signals in the market, as we call them. There are a lot less radio stations in general here. And uh, 96.5 at that point was just cool 96. We It was so non-digital era. We were just cool 96 we didn't even do the 0.5 thing I don't think but but so cool 96 is where I was doing mornings with Debbie Ray and Mm -hmm. you were doing weekends for both KMDL 97.3 the dog and planet Mm -hmm. and had you evolved into like the night guy on cool is that what you were doing
1: I I was I was yeah I was the night guy because I started when my first full time job was doing overnights on that station, and then I then I got moved up to nights, so I was doing nights when this happened.
0: Yeah, so like the seven to midnight shift was uh, mm-hmm. was was the Rob Summers show. So, so mm-hmm. we get sold or oh, Cool ninety six and the dog got got purchased by a different company, and when they bought us, Cool kind of competed with another station in the group, and mm-hmm. so there was all this brouhaha about how were they gonna going to, you know, ha- we, we don't want these two stations that are so similar competing with each other. That's not smart. So we need to figure out what to do with one of them. And then there was some research done. Like, there's real science to this, believe it or not. And we all kind of had some ideas of, of some of the things that weren't in Lafayette at the time that that might be wise to do. But, but the company actually spent a ton of money and did research, and there was a big round table company meeting of all the managers one day now you weren't there because you were you were not a manager yet but I remember calling you after that meeting saying you're never going to believe what we're going to get to do
1: (laughs) and it was like a dream come true because I never thought I would be in radio anyway I fell into that career completely by accident and I was having a good time working for for cool 96 doing this classic hits thing I mean that was fun but when you called and told me what we were about to do, I, I mean, I couldn't believe it. It was—it couldn't have been more perfect for me at the time.
0: Well, you know, Lafayette. I, I guess at the time, USL or yeah, it was still USL then. I I think had like maybe between twelve and fifteen thousand students. It's close to twenty thousand now, but it was it was still the second largest university in the state, and it was a college town that really had no radio station that was playing what would have been kind of the hip, cool, in music, for lack of better terms, but that really resonated with college students. I mean, you had top 40, mm-hmm. but you didn't have anything that would have been edgy or rock-leaning at all. The closest thing had been the Tiger over in Baton Rouge, but it was gone by this point.
1: Yeah, it was gone. And when I grew up, I, I lived in Crowley, and I grew up not having – Really, any rock station at all. You couldn't hear anything in Crowley, except KSMB. Right. And so I grew up listening to them, and listening. I grew up listening to you. That's how old you are. Yeah, appreciate it. I grew up listening to that, and every now and then, because you did nights. You know, the first time I ever heard Faith No More was on your show because you played it on the like Battle of the New Hits or whatever it was. And the first time I ever heard the Beastie Boys was on your show because you played it. So you were doing this a little bit in the background, sneaking this stuff in. But that was the closest that I had to anything like rock radio until the Tiger came on. And then when it went away, it was just a wasteland.
0: Right. So, so there was no real rock presence at all. And, and by this point, MTV had already you know kind of veered away from playing videos because that was where I was getting rock. Once, once KSB changed from rock to top forty. As a listener, you know back then it was the rush and Led Zeppelin and all that stuff. And then when they changed formats in the mid '80s, there was no real rock station here, and so MTV was the way that you found out about new music. I remember. You, you know, you and I, you know, being friends and, and, and listening to music before we put Planet on the air, you were you were kind of a, 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 a again, we all got into radio, I think, at some point be, because we loved music in, in some way, shape, or form, whether it was you mm-hmm. were a big country listener and you tried to get into country radio or whatever, but, but you liked, like, I remember you liked White Lion because you loved the guitar player. I'm not yeah. not, not throwing you under the bus. <laughs> I mean, it was what was in at the time.
1: Vito Brada.
0: Yeah, the guy was awesome. Yes.
1: He was, and he, he was a little bit of a Van Halen clone, but he was really good, and I actually got to meet him. White Lion played at the Chalmette Civic Center years and years ago, and I got to meet him. We just kind of went around to the back and saw their bus and hung out, and that dude's hands were enormous, Vito Brada.
0: And you were like, well, that's <laughs> that's why he can play all that crazy stuff on the guitar, because he can right. reach all the way down the neck. So, yeah. so we talked about music, and... And there had been this, you know, this kind of change in the rock scene that started, I guess, you know, everybody credits Nirvana with it, but the Seattle sound and and that had happened in the early 90s. And the Tiger really captured that sound for a few years and we could hear it in Lafayette. Mm -hmm. It wasn't our station. I mean, it was a Baton Rouge station, but you could hear it. But then they went away and became a country station. So here comes early 1997. Cool 96 is going to go away and the decision is made that it's going to be an alternative station and we say alternative some people called it modern rock new rock there was a lot of different terms for it and we played some different styles or in the early days but but it was an alternative station and and so I was kind of given the keys to that kingdom in that meeting I actually at lunch it was at an office in the oil center and at lunch the general manager walked down the street with me we we went to Piccadilly and I had no idea that they were going to give me the opportunity to be in charge of this thing. I'm just kind of sitting in this meeting looking at people saying, oh, that guy's about to get fired. Like I'm realizing what's happening in this meeting. Some people's jobs are going to be eliminated and that's not good. I mean, that's not a good feeling, but my focus shifted to, oh my goodness, I'm actually going to get an opportunity to run a station because walk into Piccadilly, the manager said, okay, man, are you up for this? You're, you're going to be in charge of this new alternative rock thing. And I was like, me? Like, y- you're going to let me be in charge because I had been kind of an underling in management. You know, I hadn't been given given control of any station there. And so thus it began. So I'm back in the second half of these meetings, and I don't remember a word that was said in the second half because my brain is like, what are we going to call it? Who's going to pick the music? How are we going to? How are we going to do th- do all of this stuff? And, you know, of course, at the end of the meeting, they're like, okay, man, we're, we want this thing on the air in 10 days or whatever. And I'm like, what? We don't have any of this music. It's not like today where you can download it. I mean, we had to get CDs, and people had to bring music from home. And we had to call our friend Dave Hubble. And I called Dave Hubble, and I was like, please lend me some of your music because this is what we're going to do. And, of course, he was all over it. So he helped us out in the early days. But from February – like first to 15th or something we went from Mm -hmm. it's cool 96 and uh you know it's it's fast and deb in the morning and whatever and then all of a sudden we played a song do you remember the song we played when we changed
1: cool change by little river band yep
0: the last song and do you remember the first song we played on planet
1: i think i think you're going to tell me i'm wrong um i think I, I seem to remember it being run around by Blues Traveler, but I don't think that's right.
0: It was. It's the end of the world as we know it.
1: You're right. <laughs> and awesome. yes, and not only was it, it was the, that. Thank you. It, I think we I think we played Blues Traveler like right after that, probably, which is why I remember it because it was just it was um, like that was the opening, and then the, then it sort of really started on the next song for me in some way. But the last song that Planet ever played was the same song it's the the end of the world as we know it
0: yep which of course i was long gone and you were long gone from there but it was kind of cool we got a little a little tip of the cap i guess from the guys there saying goodbye the way we said hello 20 years before but so Mm -hmm. so we we had the meeting you know all the all the real business decisions were made and and so then the, the process began of trying to get this thing done and by the way this is the Fast Podcast, and our guest today is one half of the Root Awakening, the original morning show on Planet Radio 96.5 in 1997. It's Rob Summers. I'll use Rob Summers for you today, and, and of course, the other half of the show was, was me, and it was, I think, the first time I kind of dropped Eddie. I, I stopped being Fast Eddie, and I became just fast, and I'm still grateful that that transition happened.
1: Well, and and to hear you talk about being in those meetings, which I was not in on, and to be told, all right, you're going to run this thing, to have it all run into your head. I mean, I went through a similar experience because from what you told me, you told the manager, you know, I'll do it, but I have to have Rob. And you, you called me and told me this. And I was excited because I wanted to be a part of playing this music on the radio, but I mean, I'd been in radio for about five minutes, and you <laughs> called me and said, "I want you to be my assistant program director and music director." Yep. And I was like, "Dude, I don't, I don't know how to do that. I have no idea how to do that." And you said, "Oh, you, you know, you, you'll be able to do it. It's no problem. You'll handle it. I'll teach you. It's going to be fine." And I was absolutely terrified. I was excited and absolutely terrified. Um, but it was huge in my life. The, the, the things that have happened in my life that have made the most difference has been people believing in me when I did not believe in myself. And so you pushed me, it was a really, it was really great. So the, the, the whole thing, not just getting to play the music, but, uh, getting to do this job that I really had no idea how to do, uh, you know, out of the frying pan and into the fire was great. The whole trial by fire thing. And, uh,
0: I didn't screw it up too bad. I don't think. No, we, you know, not only did you not screw it up, but you showed me that you two could work four or five straight days without sleep.
2: <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> we,
0: cause we had to do that. We, 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 I mean, we really had no time to get it done. And, mm-hmm. and only because we didn't want the secret to get out that we were doing this. So, you know, it's a, there's a lot of subterfuge that happens when there's a format change in radio. Maybe we're kind of pulling the wizard out and opening up the curtain here a little bit. But so we're behind the scenes knowing no one in town knows what's about to happen. And we don't want the com- the competition to know what's going to happen. So it was really kind of close to the vest. Just a few people in the building really knew what process we were going through. I'm trying to put together a staff and figure out who's going to be the midday guy and who's going to be the afternoon person and get all that done, find all this music. Again, we didn't have it at our fingertips, a lot of it. I mean, I had all the Nirvana and the Soundgarden and the Pearl Jam and the and the big, big stuff and some of the older stuff, but we really did have to work hard to, A, get the, the, the older music that we were familiar with, and then we had to throw ourselves into, oh, yeah, there's all this new stuff that we're going to need to play, and we don't know any of it because nobody around here plays any of it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's not like you know there was no satellite radio or anything at the time, so it's not like you could go listen to any of that. It's not we were unfamiliar with it, and it, there was no way for us to be familiar with any of it. So yeah, we were totally guessing and just playing what we liked.
0: Right, Ab- absolutely, and we luckily for us, and I've been told all my life in, in, in this career, the thirty-five years I've done it, when I've been involved in music decisions at many on many different formats, that I had good ears that, that I, you know, I could kind of pick a hit song and, and knew when a song would be popular or whatever. And I, obviously, we, we don't always get that right, but I think we, we both together heard different things but had unique skills that allowed us to kind of filter through all the current music and all the music we got in the mail because, of course, we let all the record companies know what we were doing, so they sent us all the new music so that we could Mm -hmm. kind of listen to it and try. And we saw what was big on the charts or whatever and tried to make decisions that when we launched, we would play half the playlist was going to be songs nobody ever heard before. Mm -hmm. Think about that. That's kind of a scary proposition that nobody's going to know half of your music. So what in the world makes you think they're going to want to listen? What if you pick all the wrong songs? (laughs) We could have.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. We didn't, luckily. we had
1: we had stuff that people did know so when it came to the new music it was a little bit of a crapshoot but when but when it came to all the stuff that the tiger had been playing for years all that early 90s grunge stuff you know we at least had that and then for a little while really not for very long we were also playing like van halen and acdc and def leppard and we could tell as we went along that it didn't quite fit
0: Right. We, we knew that, that it, it really wasn't going to mesh well, but we, we figured it was a kind of a thread of similarity or, or familiarity, I guess. A, a kind of this common denominator that the rock people would at least know those songs. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then we mm-hmm. started filtering out. As, as we went, we started filtering, okay, yeah, ooh, you shook me all night long, sounds a little weird next to sponge or whatever. So, we, you know, <laughs> yeah. we, we, started, we started pulling it out, and, and, and so that process, the first six months we were on the air was really all just trial and error, I think, with music. It was, yep, well, that works, nope, that doesn't work. But then six months in or so, I think we really kind of settled down and had defined without words what the sound of the station was going to be. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? We,
1: we were doing a lot of fake it till you make it. I mean, even on the on the air and off the air, because like I said, suddenly you thrust me into being music director. So I'm getting the receptionist sending me calls and saying, "So and so from Atlantic Records is on the phone," and I'm like, "Bass, what do I say to this person? I have no <laughs> idea what I'm supposed to talk to him about." And, and, you know, a lot of people
0: don't even realize that that's part of the business is the record companies call the radio station and mail them back in the day. I mean, they don't do it this way anymore. They would mail CDs, and then they would follow up and say, hey, did you get that new single from Matchbox 20? And you would say, who? And they would say, it's a new band we signed out of Tallahassee. And then they'd give you the story, and they'd say, well, look, give it a listen. I'll call you next week. We're going for ads next week or whatever. So there is a whole, like, business end, even with the record companies, and, and so that whole process I had done for years when I was at B, So I, I knew how that worked. And a lot of the people were the same people. You know, Neil mm-hmm. Harrison at, at Atlantic was our, was our guy. And, and whatever, there's a lot of similar, you know, or – or some of the same people, so that was I could transition you in by saying, "Oh, this guy's great. Rhonda's cool. Go to dinner with her. She'll she's going to come to town, and she'll bring you a bunch of CDs and whatever." So you learned that, but you also had you also got thrown into the oh, by the way, you're gonna you're gonna be part of the morning show now too. Yeah, that was a whole yeah, other thing.
1: The overnight guy, the night guy, and now suddenly I'm the I'm the morning show partner. Yep. Uh, and the music director. Yep. So let's just do it. Let's just rip the Band-Aid off and do do all the big things at one time. And we no did. No pressure. We this did. It's a brand new station, by the way, and you have to make it work. And you, we know you don't know what you're doing. So good luck.
2: Yeah, and and
0: really <laughs> nobody else in the building knew what we were doing. There was a very um, kind of a lack of of communication and connection between the, the advertising sales department, though they wanted to know, they wanted to be into it, but but they really weren't familiar with the music they I don't know that they were even comfortable with the format and you know here we are playing tool and corn on the radio and they don't know what in the world's going on you know so so all of this is happening kind of all at one time but there's a lot of pressure to make it and part of that is to make it with ratings I mean you you need to have an audience and you need for the ratings to come back in to show that you have an audience but even before you get ratings you've got to find a way to sell some commercials or are you going to be bone dry and out of business pretty quick?
1: Yeah. And then you're, yeah, like you said earlier, you're going to be on the air in 10 days. Oh, we're not giving you any money. Yep. So you don't have any, you're not going to have any, um, imaging package to, 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 get going with, you know, all the little sweepers and things that people play between songs. You're not going to have, uh, any promotional money to, to, to make, to have bumper stickers or t-shirts or, or anything like that. You're, we're just going to take the old station vehicle and, like, paint over it. <laughs> oh, by the way,
0: uh, there's a picture of us standing in front of the mothership at uh, New Orleans Daiquiri's. It'll be posted on this page on the on the big 102.1 website. There's, it's you and I standing there. That's the day we gave away Creed tickets and the police came. Do you remember that? No. Well, yeah, we, we had people make signs and stand at the corner of Johnston and Ambassador saying they wanted to win Creed tickets and the police came.
1: Oh, Yeah. <laughs>
0: We were always in the middle of something. We <laughs> Unintentionally, most of the time, we just wanted attention. We we weren't trying to really cause too much trouble, but well, maybe a little bit, but we were just, hey, this might work. That People might talk about it if we did this. We didn't know. You know, it was, again, like you said, trial by fire. Let's throw something against the wall and see if it sticks. And, and so we did a bunch of different things early on that nobody would have recommended that we do, but we did because there was nobody really to tell us
1: we couldn't. Mm-hmm. And nobody in the building really understood any of it, so they just let us go and figured, uh, well, I guess that's what a rock station does. I yeah, heard- they
0: must know, and we didn't know. I mean, we didn't know any more than anybody else did, but, but we we had a, we had a an understanding of the music, and we had an understanding of who liked the music, who the audience was going to yeah. be, who who would be the initial you know citizens of Planet Radio, and that brings up a whole other conversation, in, in this under this umbrella, we're visiting with with Rob Summers, Rob Courtney, who was the original half other half with me of the Root awakening the first morning show on planet radio 96.5 in 1997 looking back on the mm-hmm. launching of the coolest station on the planet you like that mm-hmm.
1: that's right and you know you bringing up the listeners i mean that's really what this is all for we're sort of talking about it from our perspective and, and what it all meant to us but even though we didn't in some ways, know what we were doing, we knew that it was going to be important for people in Acadiana. We knew that people were going to react well to it. At least we hoped that we did. And that was one of the best things about being at Planet Radio was all these people who were incredibly, incredibly loyal Mm -hmm. to the station, um, who would come out to remotes, to like every remote i mean there was like a a group of people i don't want to say groupies because that's not really what it was like but, you know a group of people who would always come and see us at remotes and were like a almost a part of the staff in some way because they were always always there we made a lot of good friends who mm-hmm. just started out as people who loved the music and became a part of this community it really did feel like a a community and an extended family in a lot of ways because of the the kind of loyalty that rock listeners exhibit
0: you know so and that is you I couldn't have said that better it's absolutely true and and so the whole process to kind of step back a little bit we we've got we've got this we're gonna we're gonna be the morning show we had a couple of people on staff that we kind of felt like would fit in some some different you know spots on the on the air or whatever and so we're working on the music, and then, like you said, there's no real budget, so a co-worker at another one of our stations ended up being the quote-unquote voice guy when we first went on the air saying, Planet Radio 96.5, between songs, because we didn't have any money to hire anybody to do that, and it was, what are we going to call the station? And you probably remember this, that was one of those things that was kind of left up to me, and... Mm-hmm. So I looked around, I read some, some trade publications and looked at, like, the other alternative stations in the country. You had, say, a lot of stations called The Buzz. You had stations that were kind of toward the end of the dial called The End. And there was mm-hmm. a lot of that. And mm-hmm. there was a station in Jacksonville, Florida called, I think it was either called The Planet or Planet Radio or some variation thereof. And I was like, mm-hmm. man, I like that. I think that's cool. And And so... Mm-hmm. So we called Julie Syracuse, who did all of our graphic artwork back then, and I said, Julie, here's here's what what we're talking about. I need We need bumper stickers. This is when radio stations still not only did bumper stickers, but they were an important marketing tool for radio stations. So mm-hmm. I said, we want to get this logo. We got to get it right. So she came back in like two days later with the, I don't know, not storyboards, but like the little templates of, of design she had come up with, and they were mm-hmm. all really cool. I wish – I had them at saying I lost them along the way, but there was like spaceships and like there was all these really cool things, but there was one that just stood out. And it was mm-hmm. that planet with the circles around it and the little sign sticking out of it saying 96.5. And I was like, that's it. That is the yeah. logo. And how long did that logo last?
1: The whole time. I think so. It never changed. I think there, the that. That's- Near the end, <clears throat> um, they, they tweaked it a little bit maybe and made the, um, made the numbers bigger because that was the, always the thing about the logo that was not good. It's really your, your frequency numbers ought to be the most prominent right. thing, um, and that was kind of a mistake we made. But it still looked really cool, and it was the one – like it was what was in my head, and in some ways that was why I didn't like it at first. I was like, it's so obvious. So maybe we should pick the one that's the most obvious. But then there was another one that I remember that I I kind of liked better, um, but the that one was the one that was the most obvious. Uh, it, it, it to everybody.
0: It was a planet.
1: It was yeah. Know, okay,
0: well that makes sense if that's what we're gonna call it. So, so what we didn't know, and I don't know that this story has ever been public before. People know this story. Yeah, I think you know where I'm going now. But what nobody knew, including all of us, is that while, while we are living on this research information and format changes and uh, Debbie Ray is not going to be my partner, you're going to be my partner, and she's going to go across the hall, and our afternoon guy, CJ, is not going to be mornings, and all that stuff happens. Mm-hmm. Acro- literally across the parking lot was our competitor. We were in the mm-hmm. same parking lot. Well, in their private meetings, they were looking at their station, which I believe was 105.9. And they were, they were trying to come up with something new, and they wanted to do a rock station, and we did not know it. But they had a game plan and letterhead and business cards and logos for the Planet 105.9. We had no idea. There were no spies. There were no moles. There were no bugs. It is absolutely coincidental. And I swear the guy that was the general manager there to this day believes that we – somehow infiltrated his army and had a turncoat that was loyal to us, and that's just not true.
1: Yeah, yeah, complete coincidence, total accident, and we beat him to the punch by what, like a day maybe? Was it that
0: close? Well, you know, like within a week, I know they wanted to launch, and again, that was why you didn't tell anybody what you were doing except for the people that needed to know that were in the process of making it happen. You didn't, we didn't, well, there was a lot, had, there were people they, in the building had, quote, who didn't unquote, know had,
1: done it right you know because they had everything in place they yep. had their imaging they had their letterhead and their bumper stickers and everything else and we had zilch but but we just wanted to get it done
0: yep so we got it on the <laughs> air and then we started doing the other the, the other parts after which is kind of opposite of what you should do but but not not that it ma- makes any difference now at this point but right. to set the record straight for anybody who ever heard that story We did not steal their idea. The name came from a (laughs) Jacksonville radio station. You know what? I bet you that's where they got the name The Planet or whatever they were going to call it. They did the same Mm -hmm. thing I did and just gravitated coincidentally to the same thing. So, no, there was no no CIA involvement or anything like that. It was just one of those things that happened. But, man, did they hate us for a while. I mean, they were – I think a guy might have lost his job. Hurricane, I think Hurricane over there might have lost his job because they believed he had sold them out and told us, and he didn't.
1: Mm-mm. No, and then and then uh, I remember you calling me. I remember sta- where I was standing in my apartment and everything when you called and told me this. You told me that you wanted me to do this job, and and <clears throat> and you were already at the point where you knew that it was going to be called the Planet. You know, you're like, this is what I think we're going to do, but you hadn't. You hadn't pitched the idea of Planet Radio yet, but you were telling me this is what I'm going to say that I, I want, and I think we'll wind up doing it, and I thought I thought it was awesome. Um, and so we then started brainstorming, and maybe, I don't know, I think we were already on the air. Like Two days in, we wound up having a meeting at somebody's house, and we just sat around a table and came up with all the things that wound up becoming staples of the station, like a prehistoric planet cut where we played like Depeche Mode and things like that, or a planetary pair where we would play, you know, two Pearl Jam songs together or whatever, Um, and the Universal Prize Code, um, all that stuff, because the Citizen thing actually came from Peter Gunn Mm -hmm. the first day on the air, and it was an accident.
2: Yep.
0: Chris McGuire, who was Peter Gunn on the air, who – who was a, an incredibly talented guy, and he was. We we were very fortunate, though he wasn't there for a super long stretch. That when he was there, he really helped us because he had a lot of energy, and he was the real irreverent one. I mean, we were the rude awakening, but he was he was the real kind of nutso, in a good way, on air personality. I mean, he was edgy, and he you know he said things you weren't supposed to say, and 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 which sometimes is good and sometimes isn't, but it really helped us at first, and. He did. He had a winner on the air. I don't know. We were probably giving away tickets to see Bo I mean, something that probably didn't even make any sense at all. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, hey, check out this guy that sings Cornbread that we don't play. Go see him live at wherever. And he was like, so he, he asked a question. He's like, um, and that was, I think he kind of spit out the universal prize code. Like somebody said, he said, are you a citizen of Planet Radio or something like that? And we were yeah. like, ooh, that's good. And that, that yeah, was kind of where that came from,
1: yeah. Which he had kind of lifted from Starship Troopers, right? <laughs> and then we started taking, uh, you know, all these drop Starship Troopers about being a citizen, yep. And, uh, and yeah, and we then sat around a table and said, "What can we call that thing?" Oh, it's the universal the universal prize code, the UPC. Um, yeah, and it all just kind of stuck, and it happened haphazardly, but that made it that made it fun. I mean, it really felt like ours. And, and I'm noticing now what a what a kind of mix you know you talk about all the corporate stuff that happens on the front end you know somebody looks at some report and says oh we need a rock station in this town um, but to their credit they they really let us run with it they right. really let us do it and they let us listen to what people wanted to hear they let us make our own crazy mistakes mm-hmm. and then learn from them and I mean that's how I mean that's how really great creative stuff happens. Well, I remember seeing an interview. I think you can probably find this on YouTube with Frank Zappa um, talking about how you know people used to make fun of all the big corporate uh, uh, radio stuff in the 70s and 80s. But he makes the point that now things are so meticulously uh, tested, and they're so worried about you know making sure that that um, that you pick artists that are sort of like that artist or that artist, that maybe those guys, you know, back in the in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, who would say, you know, I heck, I don't know what the heck this is, but somebody likes it. So, you know, be creative and, and do whatever, you know, allowed for there to be some really creative, uh, crazy music that came out during that period. Right. And I think we sort of landed at the tail end of of that, where things started to to shift and change a little bit. But I, to the to the to the company's credit, you know, for all the corporate stuff that you could criticize, they really did give us a lot of room. Oh,
0: absolutely! No, we we were very fortunate, and and conversely, they were pretty fortunate that they had us. And and I don't mean that in an egotistical way, but they had a staff, not just me and you, but everybody that was involved, you know, Chris and and Derek Rose, and you know that early staff, Dave Steele, and. And Kurt Hebert, the, the kind of the original people that helped to launch the thing, everybody wanted it to succeed. And everybody was willing to do whatever it took to get this thing on the air up and running and visible. So we were we went from 0 to 100 overnight and we were everywhere. If you remember, we had that stupid Winnebago painted and we were all over the place trying to 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 let everybody know that we existed. I mean, we didn't have a marketing budget. We we didn't get to do fancy TV commercials at first and we didn't do billboards, maybe a couple, but, but really mm-hmm. it was all organic and mm-hmm. and it was and it was pure in that way
1: and we were all hungry and willing to do whatever because we all loved the idea and everything so much and so you know we got paid like nothing right and people would say oh man you have the coolest job in the world you just get to sit and play rock music for four hours a day and then go home and you probably make a lot of money uh, <laughs> no no, no. no. We, we we made almost no money and we worked probably 80 hours plus a week yep and a lot of it was just purely because we wanted it to work and wanted to see it, see it succeed, and we loved the music and we loved being part of this community of people who loved the music who wanted to hear it.
0: And I mentioned him earlier, and I didn't, I didn't really kind of say his name at the beginning with, uh, with um, the the team, but an important part of that that whole system at the beginning was Dave Hubble.
2: Mm-hmm. You yeah. know.
0: He had a great influence. He did the the Sunday show where he the Underground <clears throat> Lounge, and he and he you know did a lot of edgier music that we wouldn't play on a regular basis. But his knowledge, he had been in L.A. for a long time, and he had been a K Rock listener. K R O Q in L.A. was the the alternative station there, and he knew everything about it. He knew from from things they did on the morning show that he thought you and I should try to do to to classic music that they played that he thought would fit right over here to some new things that he brought in, one of which was Kid Rock, who nobody knew. And and he had an idea, you know, it's like, man, this guy – Uh, This saw, what was it, I'm the Bull God or whatever was the first one. And so he's like, I I, I know they're playing that on K-Rock. He was plugged in. There was no internet listening. We couldn't go to some station's website and listen. So his ears and his connection to Los Angeles was very helpful to us.
1: Mm -hmm, It was. And then K-Rock came and played at Shanahan's. Yep. And there were probably 10 people there. And uh, Scott, a.k.a. used to be Tard, uh, can tell you about Kid Rock coming up to them and saying, "Hey, I'm I'm Bob. Is there a Burger King around here? Take you to get something to eat."
0: <laughs> and then, you know, like two years later, he's at the Cajun Dome and Fuel is opening up for him, and he's a millionaire. And and yeah, I mean, yeah. It's just crazy how this this thing kind of blew up. But but to, so that the when- in, the infancy of of the station though goes from the 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 you know the behind the scenes deal to the launch to all of a sudden. It is wildfire. I mean, when mm-hmm. I tell you that word spread about this station far and wide, it was beyond anything that we could have dreamed of.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's when it got really fun. Uh, and then when uh, it became important for the record companies to talk to us at first, you know, they were excited there was a new format and they were they were uh, reaching out to us and willing to send us stuff. But then... When it becomes a big deal, that's when it gets really exciting and things like the Our Lady Peace story happen.
0: All right, so I we, we could probably tell this story together. So first six months were on the air. Again, one of the major successes I remember musically was that we were in really early on Matchbox 20. Now, you may think of Matchbox 20 now as a very kind of mainstream pop rock band, and, and they are. I mean, that's, that's what they were, but at the time – Top 40 radio and adult contemporary light rock radio would never have touched a band like that. Even though no. some of their songs were softer, they, they didn't have a home, but we knew how good their music was, so we weren't the only ones. They, they became a staple band of, of the late 90s, and it they started on our format, but Our Lady Peace had had some songs that you and I knew from the Tiger, Navid, Starseed, um, from their first, I guess, first one or two albums. And then here comes this album that law lo- that gets released a little before planet radio goes on the air. And there's a song that was released as a single called Superman's dead that you and I heard and said, this is a smash. This is a number one song. So we start banging the heck out of it and it's over with everywhere else. And we don't know it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> we don't know. So we didn't know any better. So we, we kept playing it and then kind of take the story from there. It's one of our to me, one of our 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 shining moments of those guys really did belong in that position, at least at that time.
1: Mm-hmm. So the record company calls and says, Why are you playing Superman's Dead so much? You need to you, we're we're done with that. It's falling apart. So just dump it and, and would you be willing to add the next single? And we said, um, no, <laughs> right. it's, our, it's our number one most requested song. We're not going to stop playing it. And so they kept trying to encourage us to drop it. And finally they came back and said, would you be willing to talk to you know, this other station? I don't know if it was a station in Austin or where it was, something like that. And so we talked to their program director and said, no, you shouldn't dump this yet. At least for us, it's become a, a big deal. We, we, can't, we are constantly getting requests for it. Give it, a, give it another shot. And it was Planet Radio that wound up making that song come back and become a big deal.
0: It it actually went all the way to number one.
1: It was, yeah, it's kind of shocking that we had some kind of role in that. I mean, not really so much us. as people in Lafayette who loved it and kept calling us and bugging us about it.
0: And we fought the good fight to keep it alive because we we knew it's like our listeners can't be that different. I mean, I know Lafayette and Acadiana is different than – Poughkeepsie and Sheboygan but but it wasn't that different they were they were far and wide loving that song and there, there had to be a reason well the song had three hooks in it I mean it was as catchy as as the flu I mean it was you know this th- this song was was a hit it just needed an opportunity to build a story at other radio stations and then that's exactly what happened to the point where they were driving through Our Lady Peace was driving through on I-10 and they called us about, oh, I don't know, several days or maybe a week in advance and said, we're going to be going from New Orleans to Houston for a show. Could we stop by and do an in-studio performance at your station for some listeners? They asked us to stop by the radio station and play a private concert. We didn't beg them to do it as a favor. They said, can we please do this? And like it still yeah. blows my mind.
1: Yeah, and, they can- and I think we hurriedly got some uh some listeners uh you know we put on some kind of contest and people were able to come in and, and listen and we recorded that in our conference room if we couldn't even really fit everybody in the in the actual studio so we brought some mics in there and we recorded it and we played that live version of that song that was recorded in the conference room for yep. a long time
0: yeah it was uh i wish i had it I, I think i think scott said he still has a copy of it so i I want to try to get it's probably on a DAT tape. Good luck getting a machine to play that, but, but we, yeah. uh, you know, so the first few years really it was the sky's the limit, and we thought we could get there. I mean, we really believed that, you know, with all of our imperfections as as programmers and as on air people and as even as music directors, and 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 if we were super superstars, we wouldn't have been in Lafayette. We would have been in New York or L.A. We obviously weren't those people, but we were the right guys at the right time to try to make this thing happen, and the audience and the listeners were receptive to it. And by I want to say by year two or three, if you remember, we were one of the top ten rated alternative stations in America.
1: hmm yeah. Think about in that. The, the year that I, the year that I left, the ratings period that, that had just been completed, and we got our ratings back when I left. Which was really just a coincidence. It was that book only, the number one rated rock station per capita in the country. Right. And so I got to look for the Super Bowl ring. But
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. It was that was, the, that was the pinnacle.
0: Well, and and again, who would have thought it was a low power station, and then there ends up being a shift to another signal, and a lot of things happen along the way. That again, that's kind of almost like another story for somebody else to tell. Because I guess by two thousand or maybe two thousand one, I was. I was out, and you we, – we, we had, I guess, Tard was doing mornings. It, it all kind of changed around. But, but those first few years when it was me and you against the world, basically, we, we were world beaters. We we did, I think, what, what nobody thought we could do, and it was filled <laughs> with a lot of trials and tribulations. But I, I can't – there's so many funny stories of things that happened. I mean – You got to have a couple of them that come to mind of things that you know, like the Our Lady piece is a a shining moment in our in our skill set, I guess. But like some of the things (laughs) where we thought we were going to get fired, and like the police are showing up at events, and just like crazy stuff that we now we look back on with you know, wow, man, what a great time in our lives, you know.
1: Well, when when the Family Values tour came through last year. Oh boy. You know, nobody, no, none of the listeners knew this because everybody was just excited that it was coming. But we took a tremendous amount of heat about that on the on the back end. um, That that we were, I think we had the presents on the show. I think we said we were presenting, and it was it was bad. I mean, we we got fussed at by management a lot. People wanted us to disassociate ourselves from the show, um, which we refused to do and kind of scared me because I thought that, you know, it could possibly get me in trouble, but mm-hmm. I knew it was the right thing to do for the station and for the format. Um, but I mean, we had, we actually had competitors. I don't know if it's okay for me to say this, but we had competitors who recorded little pieces of corn songs that were particularly offensive mm-hmm. uh, and some of the other artists on that and brought it to our advertisers. Mm-hmm. And told them, you know, this is the stuff that that station plays on the air, yep. which, of course, was not true. We weren't playing those songs, and if we were, we were playing edited versions of those songs, um, but they made it seem like you know, it was awful. Um, that was a really crazy instance in the, uh, in, in the station's history. But my favorite story um, is All American Rejects when they were a brand-new band. Um, I I don't even remember what the first song was. I don't think it was very consequential, but people in Lafayette liked it. And so they were going to come play a show for us Mm -hmm. at the Plaza. So they were flying in. All their equipment was coming with them from wherever it was they were flying from, and we had arrangements to meet them at the airport. Tard was going to meet them at the airport and pick them up. So – He's calling me going, I can't find these guys. I thought you said they were going to be here at this time. I'm like, well, I thought they were. Then the record company rep is calling me on the other line going, we're all here. Um, your guy's not here. Where, where are we supposed to meet him? And so after a little bit of back and forth on this, we realized that they had flown to Lafayette, Indiana.
0: Whoops. <laughs>
1: so <laughs> they're in the wrong Lafayette. Yep. And we're like, um, well, you know, we've got – We've got people have bought tickets to the show. We've been promoting it. Was, it was a big deal, and it wasn't the kind of thing that we could postpone. It it either had to happen tonight or it wasn't going to happen. Right. And so they made arrangements. They got on a plane. They called uh, Vince at Vince's Backstage Music, which I, is gone now. And uh, and Vince made all the arrangements. They had to rent the record company had to spend a tremendous amount of money and right? they were not prepared for this because right. they had to rent all the bands equipment and they had to you know get them a whole other flight and reroute them so the band literally got out of the car from coming to the airport and walked straight onto the stage with no air check um, to play instruments that were not their own and they were troopers about it and they played and it was a good show uh, but Lafayette Indiana and gotta, no, gotta look at the state.
0: And I bet most people didn't even know any of that happened.
1: No, nobody had any idea. We were all freaking out, uh, and the club owner was freaking out in the background. But uh, it all worked, and nobody was the wiser.
0: There was uh, there were so many things that happened along the way, just in those first few years. And and I, to say thank you to to the, to the listeners of the day who are now like us, you know, I'm sure they they listen to the music fondly and and probably some of the big songs we enjoyed a lot of the kind of one off not even really a full hit song that that we played for whatever reason like I don't know like dropping anchor by Jimmy's Chicken Shack I mean I still love that song and we we, we had an opportunity to play a lot of things that nobody ever would have heard and people gravitated to it and and there was a band here and I we have to I have to mention them that at the beginning when we first started there was a local band here that was kind of having something happen in their career musically, like what was happening to our radio station. And that was Spank the Monkey. They had been a, an offshoot of the Andy Smith band, and they played some of the members played with Andy, like at Poets on Tuesday, and then they left their gear. And on Wednesday night, they became Spank the Monkey, this alternative rock band. And their ascension and ours kind of happened at the same time. And, you know, we played Sweet Daisy on the air, and it became. A massive song, and a lot of times people would say, "Well, that's just their friends calling and requesting that song." And Rob, you and I both know that song was a major hit in Lafayette. Yes, the fact that they were from mm-hmm. here helped, but it was a hit song because it was a song that our listeners loved, not just their friends. Mhm. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if you think back to, to what that was like, and so then spank. St- they loved us, obviously loved Planet, because now there's a station playing the music that they played. They played Tool and, you know, a lot of stuff like that. And 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 so they started playing some of the songs we played, like High by Jimmy's Chicken Shack, for instance, or um, what was the song by uh, Big Wreck? That song by, by mm-hmm. Big Wreck. And they played those songs, and Heath Ronsonay told me that For many years, they would play those songs in other markets like Gulf Shores or wherever, and the people there believed those were Spank the Monkey originals because they had never heard them before. Mm -hmm. They thought Jimmy's Chicken Shack High (laughs) was a Spank the Monkey song, but it was a Mm -hmm. Planet Radio mega song. If they had driven down I-10 and listened to Planet, they would have heard that song on the radio, but they didn't. They didn't know it.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't hear those songs very much anymore. I actually hear some of those crazy songs sometimes on the satellite stations, but I don't listen to those, of course. But um, but some of that stuff shows up. Kula Shaker.
0: Oh, like Um, Tatva or or Hush?
1: Yeah, and then uh, what's the uh, Brimful of Asha? What's that band?
0: Oh, uh, Corner Shop.
1: Yeah, Corner Shop, Brimful of Asha. In the (laughs) forty-five.
0: There's a brimful, uh-huh. and it was funny because it was brimful of Asha, but they said brimful of Asher because they were British and they had a yeah. funny accent. So, yeah, there was there was a lot of a lot of music that probably never would have seen the light of day, and most people here would never have known it if it wasn't for Planet. And that's what's supposed to happen. Growing up for me, K ninety four was similar. There were a lot of bands that that back in the day when KSMB was a rock station that I was exposed to. There bands like I don't know Axe and. Um, Oh, I don't know. I can't even really think of any really good exam- uh, point blank that I probably never would have heard if it wasn't for that station. So a generation later or a generation and a half later, here we are kind of doing something similar on planet. Of course, the music industry changed um, drastically with Napster. And then the every record company decided they needed to sign a, a band that sounded like this or sounded like that and so everything kind of became cookie cutter and, and it really did change a lot. That's nobody's fault that's just how it works but mm-hmm. the heyday and, and, and those first few years of Planet, there's nothing else like it to me that ever happened in Lafayette Radio.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a blast. We had, we had fun with each other. We had fun with all the sales people. Um, I mean, it was just a great group of people to work with. Oh. And everybody mm-hmm. everybody everybody loved each other and uh, you know I don't know if I'm, I'm looking at it through rose colored glasses now, but it was just a lot of fun. It was it wasn't always easy, nothing is, but um, but it was a lot of fun and people really cared about it and some people didn't understand it and we got fussed at sometimes and sometimes we made really stupid, stupid mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a blast
0: and it was you know it's one of those when whenever the the and it might be me that writes it because I'm determined to do this but whenever the book is written about Acadiana Radio that will certainly be a chapter that is important and I don't say that because I, I was there at the beginning or I picked the name or you did this or whatever it was something that obviously all that expensive research said people in Lafayette wanted and so when we delivered it in its in its unique way because of our style and our our thoughts of what we should do some things good some things were, we fell on our face but it was really important to those people because it was their radio station Mhm Mhm Kind of kind of weird to think back on it that way but but it was uh it was a unique opportunity you know Pearl Jam and Soundgarden and Stone Temple Pilots were really kind of old and established when we launched but they had a fresh sound because of the way they were heard on on Lafayette Radio really for the first time ever.
1: Yeah, and the in the beginning it really was a strange the format was a strange mix. It wasn't just Planet, but it was you. We were playing stuff like Stone Temple Pilots and Pearl Jam and Soundgarden and Nirvana, but some of the new music when we first started was stuff like Matchbox Twenty and um, Third Eye uh, the Blind, cardigans, uh, you know stuff like that that was like poppy. One town you know what's the name of that song your woman yeah yeah like to hear that now feels bizarre to think about that being on planet radio <laughs> but at the time it was a real weird mix of music i kind of liked it
2: no
0: i liked, I liked it a lot it
1: was eclectic
0: yeah well and that was the, the difference between straight rock or alternative is it was it was much more of of risk taking and and you know, with new sounds and styles, and sometimes they worked, and sometimes they didn't. We went through that mighty, mighty Boston's real big fish ska era for a little while. Remember that?
1: Yeah, for about five minutes. Squirrel nut zippers.
0: Oh yeah, that's right. For, and uh, oh, uh, cherry poppin' daddies. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, man! Yeah, that was we were we were the ska 24 seven ska ninety six point five. I mean, we <laughs> kind of did that for a little while, but then there was the whole Creed days of the new thing that was really big for a while.
1: hmm. Creed days of the new Nickelback, all those bands.
0: It was fun. It was a lot of fun, and, and we were we were very fortunate to, to to have a friendship that had developed before we had this partnership in, in doing this radio station that wasn't just the two of us, obviously. I don't want anybody to think that that's, that's what I'm saying because I'm not, but as far as the managerial style and the decisions that were made of what to play, it really was kind of us, at least at the beginning, and... We lived to tell, and the station lived for, what, 20, 21, years, almost, well, over 20 years, I think. So pretty mm-hmm. amazing when, when you think about that.
1: Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, you know, another kind of fun story about that whole Creed era is Creed and Three Doors Down, as they were coming up and, and – becoming this big deal that they became for a while they came through lafayette so many times Mm -hmm. whether whether they played there or they were just passing through or we went to shows sometimes we would come to the shows here in new orleans where i'm at now or in baton rouge or wherever but i i met them so many times that by the end they knew me by name oh yeah kind of bizarre yeah, um, you know the the three the three doors down guys and and the um, uh, and the creed guys. We knew I knew by name. I I probably couldn't name anybody but Scott Stapp. Now, Mark um,
0: Mark Tremonti.
1: Yeah, yeah, he was a really nice guy, and it, it was really bizarre. Like the last, probably the last time I saw them, he was like, "Hey, Rob, what's going on?" <laughs> and <you> know <laughs> I made it. That was
0: weird. I made it. I'm famous. And, you know, it it was kind of the same thing with Matchbox 20, not on a name basis, but they were were so big. And, again, Atlantic was so grateful to us that if I wanted to go see Matchbox 20 in North Dakota, they would have sent me. And I remember seeing them three nights in a row. Like, I think it was Houston – La- Houston, Lafayette, and Biloxi. I think I, I went three nights in a row. And you-, you know who? No, it was New Orleans because it was the Sanger. You know who opened for them? Another band that I loved that didn't really do a lot of anything. Cool for August. Oh yeah, they were. The guy had the quirkiest, craziest voice. And again, that's something that you know we wouldn't have known that had Planet not existed. We never would have heard of that band.
1: That's, you know, that's one of the reasons that I married my wife. When I uh, went to her house for the first time and looked through her CD collection, she had a Cool for August CD, and I was like, what?
0: Oh, she's got good taste. In (laughs) spite of the fact that she decided to say yes to you, she has really good taste.
1: Yeah, well, you know, you can't be perfect.
0: No, she, no, that's, that's, that's a great, I didn't know that story. That's a great story. Mm -hmm. Who can blame you? She had a Cool for August CD. She had to know something, you know.
2: Right. Right. So, yeah, it was uh, –
0: and, and, and so, again, the visit with, with Rob Summers. And, again, the morning show, The Rude Awakening, that's probably a podcast for another day. Um, all the things we did, all the apologies we asked for. Uh, we – we please forgive us. We didn't know we couldn't say that word on the radio. We didn't know that you guys would get mad if we played that game with the women doing that or whatever it was. We we, we pushed the envelope a little bit, but uh, but it seemed well, to work and, at the time. Well,
1: one fast Rob story. this was uh, I, I, I don't know. I was really whiny one day. Um, that's probably not surprising, but I was whining about something one day. You're gonna have to bleep this. I'm just warning you. Um, but uh, <laughs> I, I was first break, six, six o'clock in the morning, we, we get on the air and I don't know. I'm, I'm complaining about something. And you know we spent you and I spent so much time together during that period. We were always together, whether we were talking on the air or talking off the air. The conversations were not all that different. Right. And we're on the air, and you look at me, and you said, would you quit your (laughs) <laughs> and and we both we both looked at each other stunned, and our eyes both got huge. And you just hit the button to go to the commercial. Whoops! And like, oh, I really hope nobody heard that. I uh, really hope nobody heard that.
0: <laughs> I, I kind of forgot about that. I remember it now because I do remember distinctly looking at you, like, did I say that out loud? Was I thinking that I said that? Did I really just <laughs> say that? Yeah, it was six ten. Nobody was listening, right?
2: <laughs> and our yeah, audience,
0: our, our audience never would have complained about that. No. I mean, they, they probably would have laughed. I mean, I remember, like, having studio guests. Like, we—we, we, you could win with the best seat in the house or whatever and come and sit and watch us do the show. There were so many things we did that I look back on now and I'm like, I'm so grateful that we were willing to take some chances and some risks. And I think we learned a lot by doing it. And, again, I, I'm very proud of the fact that that, that, little, that little engine that could, the little station that could – had had such a long run i mean in the end you know obviously it had changed drastically and it's gone now because all good things must come to an end but those first few years Mm -hmm. and then when uh, when you took the reins and and kept going and kept building the station for years i'm i'm really proud of that i mean that we 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 whether it's on a resume that would ever get us another job or not doesn't really matter the fact that we did it i think is something we both can hang our hats on
1: yeah 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 i feel the same and then Scott taking it after I left and, and, and holding it for, for years and keeping it going, um, yeah, it, it's, it was really cool to uh, – I was sad when I left, but it was cool for years and years after that to, to watch it keep going. Um, and, you know, it was time. Like you said, all good things must come to an end, and it was, it was just the way things work out, and it was time. But um, – but yeah, it was really an honor to, to watch it keep going and to know that, that we were a part of that at the beginning.
0: Let's face it, if it hadn't been for Planet Radio, do you think you ever would have been a cartoon on a t-shirt?
1: No And uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, <laughs> I don't have that t-shirt anymore. I have one of this uh, just a screen print of the of the t-shirt, but uh, one of my friends here now has it and sometimes he will wear it just to just to annoy me and freak uh, me out
0: <laughs> I, I don't have one either michelle Ezel over at tsunami mm-hmm. sent me a picture and said look at what i just found and i covet that picture because i don't even have the screen print from ride tech ryan i, I don't even have <laughs> that but but the it's cold outside t-shirts were a success and again it was a we ended up making money and donating it to charity with those shirts which who would have thought we could do that you know <laughs> People bought them, and then we came up with that whole NWO, New World Order, the NRO, New Rock Order knockoff from wrestling. When wrestling was huge on Monday nights, we took the New Rock Order and ran with it. I mean, we we had a lot of fun and and a lot of creative moments there, and and I I know a lot of people listening to this podcast today that were were citizens back in the day are probably saying, oh, my God, I forgot about the It's Cold Outside t-shirts, you know? (laughs) There might be a reason why you forgot about them.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: We were yeah, not. We is, were not meant to be is on not television.
1: outside Right now, though. Woo!
0: Hottest really? day of the year. You were right about that. Well, look, it has been an honor and a privilege not only to work with you, but to be able to reach out and, and get you to to take an hour out of your day to, to visit with me about uh, about the good old days. I'm glad we lived long enough to have them.
1: Yeah, well, again, you're the one that's old. I, I'm, I'm doing just fine, so yeah. I'm sorry about all that for you.
0: You never know what's going to happen on the Fast Podcast. That's, it, It's a lot of nostalgia, but sometimes we'll talk about something happening. Currently, you know, having Jake DeLome on a few weeks ago, talking about his induction, upcoming induction into the Ring of Honor for the Carolina Panthers. Just an example of old and new and a lot of stuff in between on the Fast Podcast, and you can find it at big One Hundred Two one.com you can find it we'll always post a link on our facebook page and from what i understand i'm bad i'm worldwide i'm on the itunes store now so see rob who would who'd have thought
1: and who'd have thought i would ever get to be on the same podcast as jake galome i've I've arrived
0: yeah but i had to separate you two you see yeah
2: yeah oh well
0: (laughs) oh all right rob be good thanks again all right thanks man